Lord God, we thank you for this morning, and we thank you for being with us. Thank you for the beautiful sunshine, and Lord, we just thank you for who you are. We pray that your name would be glorified today, and may your word be spoken. We thank you, Jesus, and praise you in your name. Amen. I know what I'm wearing is not traditional like pastor bit, right? But I guess for the big day, I had to represent, you know, go back to when my team won the Super Bowl. Or it's not my team, but it's my team, you know. But in case you didn't know, today a big football game is being played today. All right, if you, if you have not heard yet, all right, it is that day. And it's the battle of like the ultimate team, in my opinion, in my humble opinion, football is the, is the ultimate team sport. And today is the pinnacle of the season. It is the teams that battle in the Super Bowl. And I don't know how many of you watch. I don't know how many of you gather to watch. Just watch the commercials or the halftime shows or whatever. But most likely, we will see some great individual performances today. Right? Most likely, knowing these two teams, there's going to be some great individual performances today. However, in football, in order to have greatness, individual, and particularly great indiv- individual performances, usually it's not just a, a lone person accomplishment, right? In order for someone to have a great performance, like a quarterback, right, whether whoever quarterback you're rooting for today, if they're going to have a great performance today, they're going to need their wide receivers to catch the ball. They're going to need their linemen to block for them. If it's a running back, they need and a block for them and so forth. In football, to have a great individual performance usually requires teammates doing their job, right? Now after today's game, whoever may win, they're going to interview probably the MVP or whatever, right? We, we see that often in sports. It's rare to get an individual when they're asked about, you know, they, they approach about the interview. It's rare for the winning person, the MVP, to go up and say, first and foremost, I'd like to thank me for that great performance. I could not have done it without me. These hands were amazing. I've only seen that once. I won't say who it was to thank their own hands for the great performance that they contributed. Usually, they don't get that. They usually don't thank themselves for their great performance. They may be thinking it, but they usually don't say that right away, right? They'll say something else. But we live in a culture that highlights individual greatness, right? We elevate, celebrate individual greatness. This past week, I always forget this. This week, um, they revealed, unveiled, Kobe Bryant's statue outside of what's now Crypto Arena, right? I don't know how many of you were Kobe's fans or not. But I was following, hearing about the news of this throughout the week, and I was listening to the descriptions of people remembering Kobe. Terms were used such as timeless, is, was, and forever. An icon, legend, the goat, right? These were just some of the terms used to describe 
Kobe Bryant. He was idolized around the world. I don't know if you know this, but in China, he reached like godlike status. And that's not an exaggeration, right? He was huge in China. And that's how our culture is right now. Right? We live in a culture of icons and idols. There are some <coughs> in our culture who's become so well-known that if you just say their, their first name, you know who you're talking about, right? Kobe, Bryant, right? If you say Elon, who are you referring to? Elon Musk, right? Taylor, of course, right? <laughs> you say, ne- never mind, I'm, I'm on mic, I can't, I won't say that. But greatness is celebrated, right? We celebrate greatness and people strive for greatness. They want to make a name for themselves, right? You've heard that? Someone maybe said that to you? Make a name for yourself. You want your name to be synonymous with greatness. And this pursuit for greatness isn't even just individual, right? We celebrate collective greatness as well. Ingenuity, that is something that's a very common thing that as a collective, as a whole, people endeavor to achieve. Human ingenuity, technology is advancing at a, just an incredible pace, right? I was looking back at some technolo- technological moments in time and history. It's estimated about 4,000 BC that people of Sumer invented a numbering system that eventually the Greeks, the Babylonians, and the Arabs used. 4,000 B.C. 3,300 B.C., the Sumerian written number system, so it became a written number system, okay? 200 B.C., it's estimated that the Chinese invented paper. Only 200 B.C., right? 300 A.D., the Mayans are known to develop a base 20 number system with zero, okay? Fast forward some time, In 1642, Pascal designed a mechanical calculator called the Pascaline, and it could only add at the time. It could only add. Fast forward, 1938, so 300 years later, Hewlett-Packard Company, founded by Bill Hewlett and Dave Packard, created a specialized calculating equipment. Notice how the time as we're going along, right? 1962, the first computer game, Space War. How many have heard of that? I won't say how many raised their hands. (laughs) Space War was invented by an MIT grad student, Steve Russell. 1975, Microsoft is formed by Bill Gates and Paul Allen to sell sell their basic interpreter. One year later... Steve and Steve create the Apple One microcomputer, 1976. I wish my parents would have invested not in diapers for me at year one and maybe invested some stock in there, you know? That would have been nice. 1979, cellular phones are first tested. 
I don't know if that sounds like ancient history to some of you. That doesn't seem that long ago to some of us, right? Just within the past 30 years, we went from using dial-up internet to download an article or picture, and it took like 10 minutes. Now you can video chat with somebody across the world instantly, just like that, right? Those of us who are old enough, we remember the sounds of dial-up. You can't forget that sound, right? We know that sound. AI used to be science fiction. Now it's everyday reality, right? Technology is advancing greatly. Human ingenuity is just like constantly striving for the next thing, the next thing, the next thing. It's amazing. It's amazing that God created man with the capacity for greatness. That's an interesting thought. God created man with the capacity, the ability to achieve greatness, to achieve great things. However, any greatness man achieves or sets out to achieve doesn't always have good outcomes, right? There's always a downside to man's achievements. You think about technology, provided amazing convenience. But then we also have things like weapons of mass destruction, right? Internet is amazing, it's great, it's convenient. But it also busts the doors wide open for all sorts of evil and wickedness to invade our homes. And we don't even know it. There's always a downside to man's achievements. And there seems to be a fine line with confidence, pride, ambition, and greed, right? There's always a conflict, ongoing conflict within us involving pride, arrogance, seeking glory, seeking fame. And yet we still, do, we still yearn for it, right? People will yearn for greatness. We want to achieve greatness. We want to get that straight A and maybe even top of the class. We want to get into that school. We achieve, we look for greatness. But as we'll see, this is an expression of an ancient disease called pride. We're going to pick it up in Genesis chapter 11, verse 1. I don't know what's happening with my voice. Pick up verse 1. Now the whole earth used the same language and same words, and it came about as they journeyed east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. Let me stop for a second and contextualize this. If you remember, Noah and his sons and their wives exited the ark. God made promises, made a covenant, blessed them, and said, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, not only to you, but also your descendants, your sons, your generations, and their generations. All the earth, fill the earth, be fruitful, multiply, right? And we saw last week in Genesis 10, 
We saw the genealogies, highlighted the genealogies of Noah's three sons, Shem, Japheth, and Ham. And from these came the population of the earth. Japheth's line migrated north of what we would know of Israel, right? So they populated um, Asia, part of um, Asia Minor and Europe. Ham's line migrated mainly south into Africa, also in Palestine, Mesopotamia, and Arabia. And Shem's line is associated with northern Mesopotamia, Syria, and Arabia. So they have migrated out in those directions. We saw that chapter 10 details Ham's descendants. And we'll see later on, all right, I don't know what's going on with my voice. I'm not going through puberty again. <clears throat> Ham's descendants will play a significant role in the history of Israel. So we can see the importance of highlighting Ham's descendants, right? Particularly, Cush is one of the four sons of Ham identified in chapter 10. I want to bring us back to chapter 10, verse 8. It says, Now Cush became the father of Nimrod. He became a mighty one on the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore, it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. <clears throat> and the beginning of his kingdom was Babel and Erech and Akkad and Kalne in the land of Shinar. From that land he went forth into Assyria and built Nineveh and Rehoboth-ur and Kala and Rezin between Nineveh and Kala, that is the great city. We see here Cush has a son named Nimrod. Picture Nimrod was like the icon of greatness in that day. Right? We're talking about greatness. He was that icon of greatness. He was a great hunter. Not only was he a great hunter. Now, I mean, if you're, if you're a manly man, right? In those days, I guess if you want to be known as something, a great hunter. That sounds very masculine, right? He was not only a great hunter, but he was a builder of cities. He was a kingdom builder. So his name was associated with greatness. And the beginning of his kingdom was in the land of Shinar, which would be known as the land of Babylonia, Babylonians. So today's passage picks up in this region, okay? Most likely where we're picking up is probably a couple generations from the ark, Okay? So when we're here referring to here in chapter 11, this land of Shinar, this is what we're talking about. And so going back to chapter 11, verse 1, it makes sense. The people are migrating. They all speak one language, right? The three sons, one family exiting the ark, you would assume they would have one language. So they're all migrating. This people group is migrating with one language, but language would not be the only commonality they share. They shared the same ambition. Verse 3. <clears throat> and they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they used brick for stone, and they used tar for mortar. And they said, Come, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower whose top will reach into heaven. And let us make for ourselves a name. 
lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. Now let me stop for a second. What makes the Bible unique is in the detail. The Bible is very unique from all other ancient manuscripts, any, any ancient secret, sacred books. What's one of the things that makes it unique is its historicity, right? Its authority is in the details. Because in that area, they were known for that kind of building technology to use the bricks instead of stone. So there's no contradiction. You can look in history and say, oh, that's accurate. That kind of building technology, what they used, started in that area, in that time. They were known for that kind of construction. So it's amazing how the Bible is not just a book to read for moral lessons, but there's a history behind it, right? But we see here that a common single language is emphasized here. They all shared the same language. And we all know when everyone speaks the same language, right, can better cooperate with people, right? You can have effective communication when you speak the same language. It's beautiful, right? When you have a group that can speak the same language, you can understand each other and well, right? When everyone is not speaking the same language, right, what do you often have? Misunderstand you hope for a translator. You have misunderstandings. You can have miscommunication. You can have conflicts because you don't understand each other, right? All these things arise when you don't share the same root language. But even husbands and wives, right? You can speak the same root language, right? Maybe you both speak English, but you you just speak different languages. Right? It happens too. You can have, you both speak in English, but it's like your language is totally foreign. So there's value when you speak the same language, and it can lead to having the same goals, the same ambitions. And they said, the people said, come, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower whose top will reach the heavens. And let us make ourselves a name. Make a name for ourselves so that we are not scattered abroad across the whole earth. If you remember, going back in chapter 4, verse 17 of Genesis, Cain was the first to establish a city, right? And he named the city after his son Enoch. Not the Enoch in chapter 4, right? But he was the first to establish a city, built a city, and he named it after his son, after he was driven out by God, right? So it's very interesting here. The descendants of Ham are migrating, and they settle into a, a place, and they want to build a city and make a name for themselves. And we see here their motivation is twofold. Make for ourselves a name and avoid being scattered abroad around the earth. So the people wanted to make a name, but they wanted to stand out from all the other people. But they also wanted their land, right, to be synonymous with greatness. Let's build a city, make a name for ourselves. 
ourselves. So where we live is known for greatness. We do this today too, right? Cities are named after individuals, right? Named after different people. Streets are named after people. Countries are named after people. So it's interesting how human nature doesn't change. Right? We're talking how many years, eras of human history, and how much so much does not change. You think about ourselves and our ideas of individual greatness. Isn't it interesting how we associate greatness with building higher? Man likes to build things higher. Do you know where the tallest building is in the world? You know? It's in Dubai, right? It's in the tallest building in the world is in Dubai. Of the 20 tallest buildings on this earth, in this world, six of them reside in one country. You have an idea where that country is? What country holds six of the top 20 tallest buildings in the world? I heard the answer. China. China has six of the 20 tallest buildings in the world. Human nature. They want to have the tallest, the strongest, the greatest, mightiest, richest. That seems to be our human nature, right? Communities want to be known we are a rich community, right? We are a wealthy community. You know where the most expensive land is in this world? What's the most expensive land in this world? It's Monaco. Monaco. The average price of land in Monaco is 1.3 million per square meter. Listed number one of the top 10 most expensive cities to buy land is Monaco. Two is Hong Kong. Number three is New York. Followed by London, Geneva, Paris, Sydney, Shanghai, Los Angeles, Beijing, and Arcadia. I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. It's number 12. No, I'm just kidding. From the beginning, you're, some of you who live here are like, really? <laughs> Home value. No. From the beginning, God intended man be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. I don't think God is condemning settling in an area, right? I don't think he meant to say everybody wants around every few, few days, right? It wasn't so much that. But I think what we're going to see in this story is the dangers of settling in an area. Man will become possessive of the land. This is my land now. This is my community now, right? How much conflicts arise from this mentality? This is our community. We want to build a name for our community. Sometimes maybe some of our communities, you have your name right outside the gate of communities, right? This is our community, right? The people's ambitions will not be what God had intended. Verse 5. So it says, And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they all have the same language. And this is what they began to do. 
And now nothing which they purpose to do will be impossible for them. God's response is very interesting, right? It says, the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. What does that look like, right? We don't have details of what that means, right? That God came down to see the city and the tower. Well, we know up until this point in Genesis, we see that God had some closeness to his people, right? We saw with Adam and Eve in the garden, the sound of the Lord walking in the garden. We know the Lord directly communicated with the people, Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel. We saw that with Noah. What this looked like, we're not sure, right? We're not given those details. We know God doesn't have a problem with seeing, right? It's not like God heard from an angel, hey, look what they're doing. Oh, let me go down and see, right? I don't think it's that kind of situation. I think the significance of this of the saying that the Lord coming down to see the tower and see the city is the precedence established of God entering man's space. His known world, right? God comes down, he sees, and he intervenes. He doesn't give into details. We don't know if it was like a Christophany, Christ coming down and seeing it. We don't know. We're not given details of any interactions of God with the people. All we're told is God sees and he comes down to intervene. So God intervening into man's affairs here. But I think we do also see that God foreshadows and establishes a precedence of what he is going to do, right? So God acknowledges, he says, behold, they are one people and they all have the same language and this is what they intend to do. This is they're trying to do now nothing which they try to do is going to be impossible for them now at first you read this God's response maybe you would think and say wait a second okay so God sees that they're one people same language united in their purpose right isn't this a good thing Sound like a good thing? They're united? Share the same goal? Share the same language? Nothing's impossible for them. Isn't this a good thing? Right? If you're building a company, isn't these all you want to have for your company? Your workers working together, speaking the same language, have the same goals, right? Two teams are playing in the Super Bowl today. I guarantee you they want these goals, right? They want to be unified. They want to speak the same language. They have a a commonality and a purpose. They're going at it together. These all seem like traits that we would want to have. It says nothing will be impossible for them. How often have you heard this, heard that before? Believe in yourself. If you believe in yourself, you can do anything, right? We, are, we get motivated by that. If you have a, a united goal, nothing is impossible for you. So why is this a bad thing, right? Verse 7, come, let us go down, right? The Lord speaking, lust, come let us go down there and confuse their language, 
that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of the whole earth, and they stopped building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole earth, and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of the whole earth. The portrayal of the situation and God's response is interesting. The passage starts off with the people's united ambition, right? They said to one another, come, let us build. Let us use this technology to build. Let's build using this material. How many of you have experience with construction? How many of you have experience remodeling? Right. How many of you, maybe you're, you're, you're married and you're thinking about remodeling and how to remodel a kitchen? How many of you could not come to an agreement initially on what materials to use? Right? We want this kind of countertop. No, we want this countertop. We want to build it with this. No, we want to build it with this. Right? You can appreciate the fact that here's a group of people coming into a land and they're all in agreement with how they want to build. That's what kind of agreement a unity they had, right? They said, come, let us build a city and a tower to make a name for ourselves. Let's make our name great. (coughs) We'll be known for our greatness. Let's go. Let's do this, right? The Lord's response, come, let us go down and confuse their language so they cannot understand each other. Let's break this up. Let's make sure they cannot accomplish what they set out to do. Again, we see God's sovereignty over the situation, right? Scripture shows us the Lord responds to man, but the Lord may respond to man, but the Lord is not subject to man's actions. God is not subordinate to man's actions. The Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of the whole earth and they stopped building the city. The the people set out to build a city to make a name for themselves. And the Lord said, not so fast. To this day, the city was named Babel, which would be known more commonly as Babylon which means confusion by mixing. They entered united but left mixed up and confused. You may think, well, why? Why did God do this? It seemed like they were on pace for a good thing. Why did God mix it up? Well, there's valuable lessons from the story. Valuable lessons from the story. Great things can be done in unity, right? Great things can be done in unity. Much can be accomplished when people have unity, a same goal. You can accomplish great things when that takes place. And many endeavors can be realized with unity when people are united in their goals and their minds and so forth, right? But unity does not universally produce positive results. Just because you're united doesn't mean those results are going to be positive. Great evil and devastation 
has manifested through unity, right? Look at throughout human history. Nazism. They were united. They believed in a cause. Radical terrorists. They are united by a cause and a belief. Groups with a united hatred accomplish a lot of things that aren't necessarily good, right? We see evidence of this throughout the day. You get a people who are united in the cause, they can accomplish a lot of things, but what they accomplish may not be very good, right? On the flip side, disunity can prevent people from greatness, right? Disunity can cause great harm. But disunity can also prevent great mistakes from happening as well, right? People today want unity. We hear that a lot today. People want unity, but unity under what cause? You could be united, but what cause are you being united for, right? I mentioned one of the themes last week. I mentioned one of the themes we'll see throughout our study and our time together is that you have God's intentions... Man's corruption and God's intervention. God has good intentions, but man's corruptions mess things up. And we see how God has to intervene in situations. I think man has lost and corrupted the meaning of why we were created. We are created to be in the image of God and his likeness, right? We are created to be his representation in creation. But what has man done? Man has made life into a self-centered mission. Self is our goal in our life. We want to exalt ego. We want to exalt self. We want to make a name for ourselves, for our family name. Right? We've heard of the dangers of social media, or of social media. And the dangers of social media is that it's the elevation of the ego. It's elevation of the self, right? It feeds our desire to be seen, to be heard, to be wanted, have the sense of importance. That's the dangers of social media, right? It becomes a platform to elevate ourselves. Look at me. And that can be dangerous. Now, if you share pictures of your family and yourself, you're holding a burger in some place like that, that's, that's fine, right? But there's dangers behind it. You can get caught up in elevating the, elevating the self, selfish pride. It's kind of interesting that the two occasions so far we've seen in Genesis where God intervened into man's activity. He put a stop to man's activity. He prevented them from doing something. You remember what the two occasions are? The first occasion was the flood. It got to a point where man's wickedness and sin grew so much, the world was so filled with violence, God had to say that's enough. Have to put a stop to it. We're going to have a new beginning. The second instance, here. Here man is migrating. He said, let's build a tower. Let's make a name for Our names will be great. This place will be known for greatness. And God put a stop to it. You reach the peak of pridefulness, man's pridefulness and achievements. He says, nothing will be impossible for you. God intervened and said, all right, we got to mix things up. 
It's interesting, the two occasions where God intervenes into man's activities here to put a stop to something, the flood, and here in the Tower of Babel. It teaches us that selfish pride can manifest in so many different forms. And that pride is the downfall of so many. People follow a name. People go after the name. The name of somebody, something. And this danger is no more evident than among the Christian community. The church, you and me. Churches and church leaders are most vulnerable to this, to the trappings suit of name recognition and greatness. Paul warned believers way back in 1 Corinthians, right? To not identify themselves after these people. Don't say, I am of Paul. Don't say, I am of Apollos or I'm of Cephas, right? But nowadays, what do you look throughout church history? Oh, I'm a Lutheran. Oh, I'm a Methodist. Oh, I'm a Calvinist. Or, oh, I'm a this, I'm a that. Christians get caught up in this. And we get caught up in following a person. And pastors can get caught up trying to be the person. Right? There's a dangerous lure of trying to be that person, what I call a pop star pastor. Social media has made pastors into celebrities. Attention can be addictive and self-serving. Being quotable becomes as important as quoting scripture. I need a good soundbite. I need a good line for 10 seconds, 20 seconds, whatever it is. The word of God must be the star, not the words of man. So we got to be careful as Christians too. There's another relevant connection for the church with today's passage. And it has to do with our mission and our purpose. The Lord blessed the families. He said, go out into the fill the earth, multiply. But then man became self-focused, desiring to build a name for self and not fulfilling God's intention. So he mixed up the languages, broke them up, and yes, they still spread. Thus, the people were scattered across the world. Luke 10, verse 1 and 2. Jesus sent out 70 of his followers. He said, to every city and place where he himself was going to come. And he was saying to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord, um, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. It's interesting, the 70 followers really speaks of the significance of the passages we talked about today. Because in chapter 10, the table of nations we looked at last week. Seventy nations are known to be represented in that table of nations in Genesis chapter 10. So it's very significant, the number of 70 here, when Jesus sends out the 70 out to preach out. This picture of going, sending out to the nations. In Acts, the disciples gathered to the, together when Jesus ascended into heaven, right? And he told the disciples to go and pray and wait Acts 1.14. So they did. 
these all with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. This sounds familiar. Now this time, Jesus said, go and pray and wait. And his disciples and his followers went together with one mind, one purpose, and they went and prayed together. Look what happens in Acts chapter 2. And suddenly there came from, a, from heaven a noise like a violent rushing, not a nose, if that says nose, I'm sorry. From a heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind and it filled the whole house where they were sitting and there appeared to them tongues as a fire distributing themselves and they rested on each of them and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. So here we see a reversal of what we saw with the tower. God gave them different languages, confused them, mixed them up. They need to stop what their ambitions are going to lead to. For the beginning of the church, the believers were united together in one place. And what did God do? Bring languages that was foreign to them. Why? If you read later in Acts. Because there were people from all regions all around the world who were gathering and they heard their language. They said, how is this happening? How is it that these, these men from this area is speaking my language? And it gave opportunity for the gospel. The apostle Peter shared the gospel of Christ. See, it's interesting how this situation in Babel is a foreshadowing of what God is going to do. Yes, God scatter the people, created these different languages and other nations, but what he's going to do is bring his gospel, his word, through these different languages to them and to all the nations. Isn't that amazing? What an amazing story that God is presenting. We think about greatness. Do you strive for greatness? I think we all do, right? We don't want to strive for mediocrity, right? I just want to be like mediocre. We don't. And I don't think that's necessarily like a godly thing, right? You desire greatness. People want to immortalize names of people. That's why there are statues built of people, right? We as a church, we also want to exalt a name. We want to represent a name of greatness. But that name is Jesus, right? We want to exalt the greatness of the name of Jesus. I mentioned from the very beginning I came here, I didn't know you all, right? We didn't know each other. But if you remember, I said that we don't want to be about elevating the name Generations Church. We don't want to be known to be elevating the greatness of Generations Church LA. We want to be known as elevating the greatness of the name of Jesus Christ. We don't want to be seeking out greatness for our name's sake. Not to say we want to hide our name, right? But we want to be about elevating the name of Jesus Christ. Today, potentially, 
or if you watch any sports, you'll often hear after a victory, the person interviewed, they'll interview the winning player and they'll give credit to God, right? I'd like to thank God or I'd like to thank my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There's actually a prop bet. The prop bet of who the MVP will first. Well, they thank God. God is the, the front runner. Then I think it's like teammates or something like that. I don't know where wives fall into that. I don't know. And it seems maybe it's cliche for some people to hear, I like to thank God. I like to thank Jesus. But it should never lose its impact. It should never be cliche to thank God for greatness. I like to thank the Lord. And we are about elevating the name of Jesus Christ. Through whatever it may be, through victory or hardship, whether we're winning or whether in life we feel like we're losing, (laughs) right? We want to say, I thank the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. His name is synonymous with greatness. I want to end with this. This speaks to the significance of the name of Jesus. Read throughout the New Testament, the name of Jesus is a theme that's so highly elevated, so important. I'll end with this verse, Philippians chapter 2, verse 9. Therefore also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those who are in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. The name above every other name is Jesus Christ. And every knee will bow and every tongue shall confess. Puts in perspective our achievement, our desire to make a name for ourselves, doesn't it? Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Lord God, come before you. Lord Jesus, Lord, we want to often strive for greatness. We want to do the best we can. We want to make a name for ourselves in our job so that we can get that promotion, get into that school, find a spouse, achieve. And Lord, you created us with the abilities to achieve greatness. But Lord, help us not to get caught up in that empty pursuit of pride And that everything that we endeavor to do, Lord, may we elevate the name of Jesus and not ourselves. That every opportunity, ambition, open door that we walk through, every path that you lay before us, that, Lord, we can say, Lord, we want you to be glorified in this. 
We want to be used to share the name of Jesus and not ourselves. Thank you, Lord God, that your name is great and mighty. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and let's worship together.